So I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and knew that was what I wanted to do, be involved in that space. I was really involved with Girls Who Code when I was little and really loved that organization. And then when I got to college, realized that there weren't many young girls like me that even knew venture capital existed, let alone wanted to go into it as a career. So started reaching out to women that worked in the field and then also girls at different schools across the country to kind of build community with them and then also just kind of get their advice and support. And then I kind of just spontaneously posted on my LinkedIn an interest form and was like, hey, if anyone's interested in venture capital and wants to learn more, I'd love to kind of build a more formal community called Girls UBC. And then just kind of blew up and have been working on it since. And now kind of working on Girls UBC, creating content, programs, stuff like that. Welcome, I'm your host Dino Cattaneo and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In our last episode, we talked about leadership and building high-performance teams with Mike Sweeney, who spent decades honing his skill set and expertise. But leadership exists at any age, it just takes different shapes. And our guest today is a living proof of that. Isabella Mendes just finished her freshman year in college, and yet, in less than a year, she went from an idea to leading a community of 2,000 members and a team of roughly 30 people. She's the founder of Girls Who VC, a community designed to create more access to the VC industry for women and female founders. In that role, she also produces a podcast, which is called Just Like the Organization, Girls Who VC. So if after you listen to this, you want to learn about her, and some of the people that she's talking to, I highly recommend you go check out that podcast. But back to today. In our conversation, Isabella talked about how she came up with the idea, some of the steps that she took to build the community, and how she's quickly learning how to lead. She also provides her perspective on the qualities of Gen Z that are often ignored. I learned a lot from her, and I am sure that you will too. Enjoy the episode. So let's start like I start with everyone, tell me a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to our listeners, and you can take as little or as long as you want. Awesome. Hi, everyone. My name is Isabella Mandis. I just finished up my freshman year at Harvard from New York City originally, and here to talk about Girls UBC, which I started, which is the first organization dedicated to bringing young women into venture capital. So I've been working on that started in December, so about seven months ago now since we're recording today, and just really passionate about getting more young women into the space and also supporting female founders. So what was the impetus for you to start an organization like this? So I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and knew that was what I wanted to do, be involved in that space. I was really involved with Girls Who Code when I was little and really loved that organization and also went to an all-girls school growing up. And then when I got to college, realized that there weren't many young girls like me that even knew venture capital existed, let alone wanted to go into it as a career. So started reaching out to women that worked in the field and then also girls at different schools across the country to kind of build community with them. And then also just kind of get their advice and support. And then I kind of just spontaneously posted on my LinkedIn an interest form and was like, hey, if anyone's interested in venture capital and wants to learn more, I'd love to kind of build a more 
formal community called Girls UBC and then just kind of blew up and have been working on it since. And now kind of working on Girls UBC, creating content, programs, stuff like that. How uh, many people are involved in working with you in, in supporting the organization? Yeah. So right now, so the organization as a whole, we have over 2000 members uh, and around a hundred mentors. The team that's helping me specifically building content and all of that is about 20 to 30 people, mostly college students, a couple post-grad. And then also we have our mentors that help me with like questions I have or helping create content and things like that. So also adding about like a hundred of those mentors as well, just as kind of like advisors. So. For listeners, you know, a lot of the times the people who are on this podcast are people that have been leaders for a really long time and they come back and then share their wisdom so that people can learn from them. I'm interested in hearing your journey. You went, so you said you started in December. So you went from, I have this idea to now you are leading a team of 30 people. You have a lot of like non direct reporting stakeholders, if you will. So people that are helping that you need to lead, but where you don't have formal authority. How do you think about how to lead this group? Leading is something that is really, really hard. And I think people don't give it enough credit. I definitely didn't before starting something like this. In high school, I I was working on different projects and reporting to people, but nothing of this scale. I think for me, for leading, I worked my freshman year of Harvard. I worked at something called HSA, which is Harvard Student Agencies, which is the largest run um, student business in the U.S., maybe the world, but definitely the US. And so I was working on a team there running the Harvard shop, which is our like student clothing store. And so I got to see my uh, manager and he was an amazing leader. And so I definitely used him as a lot of inspiration for me and saw what he did really well and how he inspired me and motivated me and kept me on top of all of my tasks. So definitely just like seeing people around me. And then also I have a lot of founder friends that I just like reached out to in high school because I just loved what they were doing and loved speaking to founders. And so got to see them talk about how they built their startups and how they went about leading and managing everyone. But it's definitely a really hard thing and still working, still a work in progress, especially I think the hardest thing for me is leading college students because everyone is so busy and people want to contribute. But then, you know, a final comes up or midterms or a paper and then it's a little tricky. So are there conversations that maybe you had to had that have been challenging? Like, I don't know if you would be willing to share like an experience that you've had. Honestly, my team is so amazing that they're just so supportive and willing to help out. I think that the hardest thing sometimes is that, so for example, we have a lot of content. So in terms of content, we do newsletter, podcast, social media, blog posts. And with the newsletter, we do that on a weekly basis, but with the blog posts and the podcast, now we like pre-do those and have them set out for a couple weeks. But with the newsletter originally, when we were starting, it was really hard because I wanted to send them out every day, every week at Sunday at 5 p.m. And people say that they'll get it back and then something comes up and then I'm there like at 4 p.m. like scrambling to write a whole newsletter. So definitely things like that have come up, but I think that generally everyone in our community is there because they just want to help and help other people. And so 
you know, it's okay if we miss one week's newsletter. I'm not too like on top of that in terms of getting upset or anything like that. So you're taking on a gigantic mission. Yes. (laughs) Because gender disparity and in general, minority disparity in both funding of new ventures as well as people actually working in the venture industry is an issue that is fairly well known right now. If you think about the impact that you would like Girls Who VC to have, like, let's say five years down the road, what would be the vision? What would be, you know, if you, if you close your eyes and like, it's now five years from this and this has been widely successful, what does that look like for you? This is a question I get a lot and it is a really hard question because for me, if you asked me in December when I started Girls Who VC where I would be now, I would not have ever guessed that I would be where I am today. And so five years for me is crazy. I mean, I'm going to be out of college and I like just started. So, so many things that are hard to predict. But I think one goal that I really have is I've always been passionate about supporting female-led startups. And that's kind of what's driven me into venture capital. So I would love to be able to actually start investing in these startups that we're supporting. We just started a scout program within Girls Who VC to go out and find female-led startups. And then we're going to be connecting those startups to our female venture capitalists in the community to hopefully get them funding. But I would love to be able to do the funding on our side and do more of supporting from the Girls Who VC perspective. So that's it from like the investing side, but also, I mean, just getting more women into the field, growing, getting more people to even know that it exists. I'd love to start going a little bit younger, going into high school and get some motivated girls to learn about the field. And what are some of the, you know, you said you went from zero to like a lot right now. You have a lot of content programs. What are some of the programs that are maybe in place or in the works to open more opportunity? So like I said, we have the content and then in terms of programs, so we have a mentorship program where we connect aspiring venture capitalists with women in the field. So we did one round of that and connected 150 aspiring venture capitalists with mentors and did pairings. And then we also have a scout program, like I said, people going out meeting with female founders and then us connecting them to our advisors and then also have ambassador programs. So kind of two sets of ambassadors, one that are aspiring female venture capitalists and then another group that are actually venture capitalists. So both of them working together to help us build content and just kind of be there as a sounding board and help as well. If you were to think about the three biggest things that you've learned in this month since you started your organization, what are they? Oh, I would say, one, the importance of not networking, but just knowing people is a huge thing in the venture capital industry. I definitely recognize that, but not. I didn't appreciate it as much as now I've kind of realized how important it is and just being able to call upon people and know people in different places. Also, I would say I've kind of always, since I was little, valued just kind of reaching out to random people. I would always just like cold email people even when I was in middle and high school. And so I definitely always kind of valued that. But I think especially now I I've realized that that can really turn into something great and impact a lot of people. And the third thing I would say is probably 
surrounding myself with a good team and having supportive people around me and how much of a difference that can make. In high school, I did a lot of different projects and worked at startups, but usually I was kind of, and I think especially because of COVID, I was kind of doing like a separate project and I didn't really have that community around me where I was working as much. But now I get to work so closely with so many people in the community and a lot of them have become my best friends. And for the older women that I work with have become such amazing mentors of mine. So that's definitely something that I value a lot now. So you, you said something and, and it's a little bit off the general topics of this podcast, but I think it's something that maybe people don't have enough of a sense of if they have not been with people your age. What was the impact of being in COVID sort of in such formative years? And then what has it been like to be, as you said, back in the world for you and for your friends or peers? COVID happened when I was a sophomore in high school. So I did the end of sophomore year and then all of junior year of high school remotely and then went back for my senior year. And, you know, there are definitely pros and cons to the situation. COVID is obviously horrible and lost so many people's lives. But I, when COVID did happen, my school was very competitive and we had a lot of homework. And when COVID happened, the homework really dialed down and I was able to pursue things outside of school that interested me. So that spring I was working with different professors and that summer I was doing like three summer courses that were all based in different places that like there's no way I could have done if it wasn't for COVID and things being remote. So I think that obviously COVID is horrible and I definitely miss out on seeing my friends and being with people my age. But on the other hand, I got a lot of experiences in kind of the startup world that I'm now really grateful for looking back. But now being at college, I love college so much. I love all of my friends and I'm so grateful that I can be with them and spend time with them. My sister was in college when COVID happened. So she missed out on two years of college. And looking back, I... I feel so horrible for her because I can't imagine losing out on a minute of college. Now being away for the summer, I'm like, cry. I'm like so eager to go back. So yeah, I, I definitely feel bad for her. But I think that from the perspective of my career, I think it really helped because I got so many like formative opportunities. And also a lot of people were happy to reach back out to me and have calls with me and all of that. But definitely missed out on the being with friends perspective. Well, thank you for sharing that. I want to go back a little bit to another aspects of Girl Who VC. You are reaching out to a lot of established professionals and in a field where people are always very, very busy. What's it like to be in a conversation with like senior VCs and having to advance, if you will, the cause of the organization? What are some of the points that you use to advance the cause of the organization? What's the approach? I guess with speaking to people in the field, I have been so like taken in with open arms by people in the venture capital field that that all want to make a difference. And I'm not just women, like so many men have reached out to me and said that they love what I'm doing and want to help me in any way that they can. So I've really been treated like so well by the community. I think when I'm speaking to them, obviously it's nerve wracking to speak to people that are so established in their field and that I look up to and 
you know, I'm just a 19 year old college student in comparison. But I think when speaking to them, all of them know that this is an issue and want to do something about it. And I think that the special thing about Girls VC is that I'm giving a lot of these women a platform to actually help and do something about it that they actually want to, but haven't really had the chance to do it. And so I think most of them are just really excited. And when I tell them about the different programs we have, like the mentorship program or ambassador program, just kind of want to help out in any way that they can. That's great. And if you think about some of the challenges that the organization faces, what's the next phase of growth? And what are the biggest challenges that you think about for like, let's say next year, the next two years? Something that I'm working on right now is I'd love to put together like an event or a conference. So that's definitely challenging to put together. It's a big feat, especially our community is very spread out. And so I want to figure out a way that we can do it in a place, but also not exclude other people that don't live there. For example, like thinking about doing Boston just because that's where I'm based and a lot of the team members, but majority of our community isn't based in the Boston area. So thinking about how we can do that, but also not exclude other people as well. And what are some of the other events that you're planning or some of the next step for the community for, for next year? So right now, a lot of things in the works, but working on creating more of like curriculum would love to have like a venture capital class, how to get into it and kind of a more structured programming as well. So that's something that we're working on and is definitely challenging as well, because, you know, most of our people are college students, so have their own homework and a lot of work themselves. So thinking about how we can make online programming interactive and helpful to people and not just kind of be another thing on their to-do list. So right now, the bulk of the community is college students, as you said, but the issues are even at other level um, within the VC community. Have you had support or interest from people to start creating programming and content and work that can actually expand the work beyond the college population, if you will? So our community is mostly college, but then we have a lot of people post-grad as well, and then some in high school, but definitely not as much. I think college has just been an easy place right now to grow and kind of establish ourselves, especially since I'm in college myself and talking to many people about how to get in right out of college. But I think that definitely working on creating more content and going to kind of older ages and spreading that across different people. I think that I've noticed that people, for example, I'm part of the MBA fund at the at Harvard Business School and we're majority women on the team. And so, you know, all of those women know about the field. And I think once people kind of get into finance, which is very typical for people at schools like Harvard to go into right after college, then they kind of start learning about venture capital and think about it. But I want to go earlier and have people knowing about it now in college. What is it? Even just know that it exists and is something that they could possibly pursue in the future. And so you you mentioned something interesting, the fact that, you know, obviously schools like Harvard and, and some of the other Ivy League schools already have a privileged channel with the with the VC community. But if we think about the issue of expanding diversity in the industry, there are many dimensions, one of which is bringing in the field members of communities that right now do not have access. Do you have any programs that are connected into schools or places that right normally would not have access to this? And, and what's their response there? So that was actually something that was super important for me when starting Girls Who BC. A big question I get is, 
why didn't you just start as like a Harvard club? And my answer to that is we don't need another Harvard club doing this. Like, yes, that's great, but that's not going to make a difference in the world. What's really important to me is that anyone can join Girls Who VC and not just the Ivy League schools. So all of our programs right now are open to anyone, so not required to go to a certain school, as well as that when I was doing outreach in the beginning of starting Girls Who VC, reaching out to different schools to kind of be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I was in a really unique position where I kind of get, got to curate who I wanted to be in the community. And that was a moment where I realized, look, like I could go through the list of top 20 schools and just email those, or I could go out and email different schools that I think don't typically get emailed and included in these communities. And so that's something that I wanted to do and have done. And in our community, we have such a different array of people. We have people that have never gone to college. We have people that like not just in high school, like just didn't go to college. And then we have people that maybe don't go to one of the best schools. We have people at community colleges. So really like a wide array of people. And that was something that was really important to me. And how does this reflect in your thinking around the leadership team that you're building around yourself or the community? And what are some of maybe the choices that you've made as you put that team together? So that's definitely something that I'm always thinking about. I don't want the team to kind of just look like a reflection of me. And so trying to bring diverse backgrounds, diverse perspectives to the team, have people not only at different places in the country, but also like different backgrounds and something that I find really important when I'm putting the team together and like asking people questions is not like, oh, give me your resume, talk, tell me everything that you've done, but also like, why are you passionate about venture capital? What's anything that you've done that's meaningful to you? Just like tell me about something that's interesting to you. It can be your family. It can be anything. But just showing that side of people is something that's really important. And so it's interesting you asked the question to the people, why are you passionate to venture capital? What drew you to that industry? I think for me, I've always just been interested in entrepreneurship and passionate about technology and people using startups to kind of push the world forward and make it a better place is something that I've always been interested in. And so for venture capital, the idea that I can kind of do that on a larger scale and really help these female founded startups that are trying to make a difference in the world is what excites me about the field. So I'm going to ask you a very difficult question right now. (laughs) If you can't answer it, I understand. But I'm assuming you're talking to a lot of founders that are in your age group. So maybe like two or three years older or by like a lot of from your generation, as you told to them, have you been able to identify some maybe common traits that you feel founders from Gen Z have that are a little different than previous founders? And and what are those? I think that the biggest thing that I notice from a lot of the Gen Z people that I see around me that are building companies or things like that is that a lot of them are very scrappy. They'll reach out to people on LinkedIn. They'll do this. They'll do that. They're, you know, have calls during the days with different people trying to meet people. And just really, I I think Gen Z gets the reputation that we're lazy. And I, I couldn't disagree more. I think that a lot of the people that are in the community are really just like driven and hungry and that's going to get people places. And I think that Gen Z specifically has seen how much like being hungry can help you in the world and how you can really grow something because of that and are kind of driven by that. 
I will add one thing that maybe it's not as visible to you, but having seen different generations of entrepreneurs, when I meet and talk to the people of Gen Z, I'm always very impressed by the fact that every venture that I talk to where there's people from Gen Z, there's always an element as to how we will make the world a better place. And I think it gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very happy for the work that you're doing helping female founders. If you have, you know, somebody your age who's thinking about getting started in entrepreneurship based on your experience, what are two or three pieces of advice that you would give them, like things to start from? I would say, number one, look at some startups that interest you, do research on them, learn about what they're doing, why they interest you, why that's something that you kind of like would want to do. And then also, I'm a very big supporter of reaching out to founders, just learning for them, taking 15 minutes of their time, asking them to put it on their calendar and coming prepared with a list of questions and just having them there. And but also like continuing that relationship. I'm still very close with people that I've spoken to when I was a sophomore in high school and still stay in touch with them. And so I think that's something really important. And also just getting your feet wet, working at a startup, creating something of your own. I mean, it doesn't have to be big. I I built stuff in high school that had nowhere near the traction of Girls CBC. I think I had like one visit on my website like per year. But, um, you know, just starting something is doing something and it's better than doing nothing. And it's just more experience. And even if something fails, you'll take those lessons next time around. That's great. So you've mentioned you've talked to a number of mentors and different people and some that have stayed with you. And you know, your choice whether or not you want to actually name them specifically. But, you know, what are some of the lessons or inspiring things that maybe you have gotten from talking to these mentors and, and things that have inspired you sort of that are shaping the vision of the leader that you aspire to be? I could honestly talk about that for like literally an hour. I love so many of the mentors that I've had in my life and look up to them so much, not just career-wise, but also just as human beings. I mean, the fact that these people are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, I've like spoken to some people in their 70s that they're taking time out of their day to just kind of support me and what I'm doing with Girls Who VC. Firstly, just shows like so much about their character and their heart. And I hope to be able to do that someday and support other people. I'm trying to now, but you know, it's, it's really hard. A couple of people, I mean, just even people that I've known for a long time and are like, Hey, I just love what you're doing and talk to me about what you're interested in and how can I help you? How can I support you? I mean, there's so many people, also people that have taken a chance on me. And there are a lot of people that I spoke to, like, literally the week after I came up with Girls Who VC and I didn't have anyone in the community and they were like, this is going to be something. I want to help you now. And I've probably spoken to them like every week, just sent them an email, like checking in since then and are there to always support me. And also so many people that not only say like, oh, you should meet this person, but actually introduce me to them means like the world to me and people kind of standing by what they're saying and just wanting to support. It means a lot to me as well. 
What are some of like the lessons or pieces of advice that they had given you? Like, oh, I, I had not thought about this. Because obviously, as somebody who is learning on the fly, I'm sure they're asking like, oh, you know, what should I, I don't know, maybe you sometimes ask the, ask the question, what should I be thinking about that I'm not thinking about? Or what are some of the most surprising and interesting things that you heard? I think that advice I get a lot from my mentors is to listen to the community and to put out like forums asking them like, what do you want from me? And that's advice that hearing that you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's another thing to like actually do it and then stand by that. And just getting that reminder is really helpful to me. And so that's something that I've really valued a lot. And especially for a community like Girls Who VC, you know, I'm building this for other girls. And so having their input and what they want is helpful because I can do whatever I want, but maybe that's not going to be helpful to anyone else. Also, I think just a lot of a lot of that I realized in like the mentorship perspective for girls building things is just encouragement and just being like, you can do this. Like, don't be discouraged. You can do whatever you want to do. Don't follow the traditional path. And I think a lot of that is really helpful as well. Yeah. What's important in that for female founders? Because I think that's actually a very profound statement. There is a study saying that women will only apply to a job if they meet like 100% of the qualifications and men will apply to a job if they meet just one or none. And so I think that a lot of it has to do with women not wanting to fail and wanting to, there are so many like expectations that we don't want to fall below that. And so just hearing someone being like, yeah, this is something that you can do and something that's important to be doing is means the world. So if someone wants to help Girls UVC or if somebody is actually interested in getting helped or joining Girls UVC, where can they find Girls UVC and then where can they find you? Yeah. So for Girls UVC, you can go to girlswhovc.com. That's our website. And then you can put in your email to join and then also follow us on social media everywhere. It's at Girls UVC. And then for me in particular, my email is Isabella at Girls UVC. Always respond to my emails. So if you're interested in learning more, want to get more involved or something, you can email me or also like LinkedIn message me or something and I'll get back to you. Great. So now we're going to move to a little more personal part of the podcast. What's a hobby or, a, or an interest that you have outside of VC and, and school and work? And how has that impacted the way that you think about your work world? Something that I'm really passionate about is education and teaching. So I love teaching little kids. I love kids. And so that's something that I always love doing and take time out of my day for so that I can help some people out. So that's something that I always love doing. And I think that now that's actually ended up kind of connecting with Girls Who VC in a little bit because I do consider it partly like an education-based programming. And then that's something that's really important to me. But I think just generally education is so important in thinking about how you can uplift people around you and how you can make a difference. And education, in my opinion, is really a way to make an impact in someone's life. Great. And then second question, this is my favorite question, <laughs> is, you know, every era has these business expressions or cliche or jargons that at some point drive us crazy because they lose meaning. Which is the one that drives you crazy? There's so many. I was thinking about this one. In the venture capital space, a lot of people will describe like an area or a company as bullish. 
And I just really don't like that word. I don't know why, but every time someone says it, I'm just like, why can't we use another word? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And I feel like it's very overused. So that's probably my answer. Fabulous. Final question. I call it food for the body or food for the soul. And you can choose. If you go to body, you can tell me a recipe that you love. Or if you go the soul route, a book, a piece of music, a movie, art, theater, something that right now inspires you or nourishes you? Oh my God, so many things. I would say probably right now, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan and she inspires me a lot in all of her music and I have her albums on repeat. So that's a really cliche answer, but I'm going to go with Taylor Swift or I've been watching a lot of TV recently and just really is a way to like relax me and also the people that like create television is just so inspiring and people that kind of dream this up out of their minds is really cool to me. So just like more of creative things that I look up to. What's your favorite Taylor Swift song? (laughs) My favorite song is Love Story, which is one of her, her old ones. Fabulous. Isabella, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. I think it's a very much needed work and I wish you all the luck. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen somewhere that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. Five stars all the way. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Catane, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. Now, for more information and all the links, go to the website al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. And make sure that you follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. The handle in both places is at al4edp with the letter D. And you can also find us on Facebook at Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now here's a song from Susan's live album, Live at the Spire. It's called Ten Kinds of Travel. Enjoy.
all the best.